Good morning. Oh boy, I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> That's okay. The year was 1873 and Horatio Spatford had just received the worst news of his life. After a challenging couple of years where he had lost not only his son to illness and many of his prominent investments had been destroyed in the Chicago fires of 1871, Horatio decided to send his beloved wife and four daughters on a much needed holiday aboard, on board a boat headed for Europe. His plans were to join them once his business commitments were settled for the holidays. On December 2nd, just a few short weeks before Christmas, Horatio received a dreadful telegram from his wife. Saved alone. The message bore the excruciating news that the family's vessel had become shipwrecked and all four of his daughters had perished at sea. Fast forward to 2016. I remember it as an overcast day, which seemed to perfectly match my mood. My husband and I decided to go for a drive up the coast. I was desperately sad and despondent, so Derek thought the drive would do me good. Also, it was a Saturday and we used to love to just drive up to Mooloolaba and have a mosey around Koorong, checking out the latest Christian books and music, two of my favourite things. For as long as I can remember, life has been extremely challenging and it has left me struggling on and off with depression and anxiety. I've struggled with all manner of things in my life, an alcoholic father, a narcissistic mother, my parents' bitter divorce at age six, growing up with an older sister with Down syndrome. I have attended 10 different primary schools across three different states. I have whole, step and half siblings, courtesy of my mother's subsequent remarriage to someone who, as it turned out, was an abusive monster, which led to him going to jail when I was 10. Growing up with a family feeling shame 24-7, that was my experience. And as soon as I turned 18, I left home and started to try and live life on my own terms. And can I say, the struggle is far from over. My current circumstances are not ideal and change seems to be an ever-present companion of mine. But despite the challenges that I continue to face, I believe I have found the secret to withstanding the storms of life. And this brings me back to the story of Horatio. A little while later, Horatio was on his way to meet his heartbroken wife, passing over the same sea that had just claimed the lives of his remaining children. It was then that he put his pen to paper and the timeless hymn, It is well with my soul, was born, beginning with the words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. What was the antidote to Horatio's suffering? I believe that it was simply gratitude and having faith in his faith, being able to still say the words, it is well with my soul. You know, it's a complete paradox when you consider the pain and suffering in this world. I mean, you only need to watch the news and read the papers and catch the headlines on your, on your phone's newsfeed to know that something is just not right. And the words, it is well with my soul, are not normally the first words that come to mind. When someone asks me, where is God? I completely understand where they're coming from. I totally get how senseless this life would look without some kind of faith 
Even with faith, I sometimes find myself asking the same thing. So it seems incredulous to me that that one emotion, gratitude, the one practice that we feel least likely to fall back on when times are tough, is the very thing that each one of us needs if we are going to survive and thrive in this thing called life. I'm sure gratitude is not a new concept to many of you, and I know you've probably heard of some of the benefits of what having an attitude of gratitude can give. If that is you, then please don't tune out on me because it is my goal to give you a few new ideas and perspectives to add to your current understanding of gratitude. And if this idea of gratitude is new to you, I hope you will learn something today that will help you in the future. I want to go back to the reading that Sharon shared earlier. It's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and it's probably one Bible story that you know very well. In a nutshell, Jesus has spoken to a massive crowd of people. It comes time to eat and it turns out no one has factored food prep into their plan for the day. The disciples point out if they were to feed everyone, it would send them bankrupt. So Jesus asks them to see if they can find any food in the crowd. As you know, all the disciples came back with was five loaves and two small fish. And in the reading, it says in the book of Mark, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up to heaven and thanked God for the bread. He divided the bread and gave it to his followers for them to give to the people. Then he divided the two fish among them all. All the people ate and were satisfied. The followers filled 12 baskets with the pieces of bread and fish that were not eaten. And there were about 5,000 men there who ate. Okay, so you're with me so far. This is by far one of Jesus' greatest miracles, and I believe it is so because it's the only miracle mentioned in all four of the Gospels, which means there must be something pretty important in it for us to take notice of. Like you, I've heard many sermons over the years that focus on all different aspects of the story, but today I just want to highlight a part that we often miss. Did you notice the timing of when Jesus said thank you? Jesus said thank you to God before the bread multiplied, before there was plenty for everyone to eat, before the miracle actually took place. Jesus took what he had, which was obviously not nearly enough, and said thank you to God for it anyway. He didn't wait until he had something to be thankful for, which is what we are often tempted to do, me included. Normally we wait for the miracle, then we thank God for it. Jesus' example with the loaves and fishes shows us that there's another way to live. Okay, so coming back to that dark and dreary day on the Sunshine Coast, I came across the most beautiful little book in Kurong called One Thousand Gifts. I don't know if anyone's read this before. It's written by Anne Voskamp. This is a book that continues to mess with my emotions as it dares me to find the blessings of life right where I am without changing a thing. In the past, I've been the sort of person who could only see myself being happy if my current circumstances were to change, if our family had more money, if I weighed less, if I was somehow able to make peace with the past, if I was able to feel less stressed, and as a mother, if I had more time for myself, if, if, if. Normally, I would wait for a miracle and then thank God for it. Anne's book has taught me that there's another way to live. Anne's story is also one of heartbreaking tragedy and loss. On November, when Anne was just four, her little sister Amy was accidentally run over and killed by a local delivery truck. 
This incomprehensible tragedy almost destroyed Anne's family and their faith in a good and wonderful God. Almost. As I said earlier, gratitude is a complete paradox when you consider the pain and suffering in this world. However, after reading Anne's book, I am now able to pinpoint the exact moment that God proved that he understands our pain and shares our sorrows. And it was actually at the table of the Last Supper when Jesus demonstrated the supernatural power of gratitude. It says in the Gospel of Luke, and I'm reading from the NIV again, and he, meaning Jesus, took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. In the original language, he gave thanks, reads Eucharistio. I don't know if I've pronounced that right. Just go with me. That is where the word Eucharist comes from. Anne wrote in her book, the word of Eucharisto, oh sorry, the root word of Eucharistio is charis, meaning grace. Jesus took the bread and saw it as grace and gave thanks. He took the wine, he knew it to be a gift and gave thanks. Eucharistio, thanksgiving, envelops the Greek word for grace, charis, but it also holds its derivative, the Greek word chara, meaning joy. Charis, grace, eucharistio, thanksgiving, chara, joy. Deep chara joy is found only at the table of Eucharistio, the table of thanksgiving, the holy grail of joy. God sent it, set it at the very table of Christ, at the very centre, sorry, of Christianity. The, Euchar the Eucharist is the central symbol of Christianity. Thanksgiving is at the very heart of our faith. So, what does that mean? By participating in the Eucharist we are reminded to place our lives and our faith in the context of thanksgiving. The fact that Jesus was able to look at symbols that represented his broken body, the beatings that he was about to endure, the crown of thorns and his blood shed on the cross. The fact he was able to know all of that and still give thanks, knowing that his life was to be a gift a blessing for you and for me, encourages me to be mindful every day of the many blessings that I have in front of me, even the ones I can't see or the ones that don't look like blessings on the surface. This, I now believe, is the whole point of Christianity, to remember and give thanks, Eucharistio. That's where gratitude has shifted my perspective. It has become my way to remind myself that I can trust God is there and it reinforces in my heart that he can be counted on as I am learning to count my blessings, to remind myself of who can be counted on. I'd like to share with you a challenge that I embarked on after reading Anne's book and it was simply this, to keep a record of my blessings, to count and number the amazing things that God has blessed me with each and every day. I know there are many ways to practice gratitude and you probably know some of them, but this one has made the biggest difference in my life so far. I'm not up to a thousand yet, but I'm close and I, will, I know I will keep going well past, well past when I reach a thousand. Also, as time, 
Oh, sorry, I'll probably just stop there for a second. Um, I just wanted to share with you, this is my gratitude journal. So I put in um, photos and I count my blessings. This is what I've been doing for the last year. Many of you are in here. I put in little quotes that I find. I put in movie tickets or little um, vouchers from different things I go to. This is my past from Aqua World. Anything that anyone does, the musical, anything, any little thing. And it's really beautiful because my girls are now saying, oh, Mum, you can keep that and put it in your thank you journal. And they've each started their own thank you journal. Also, as part of my time as RE teacher at the Lakes College, I've tried to share this life-changing practice with the children that I teach. I've tried to do this by introducing gratitude journals in each classroom. I also share with the kids some of the things that I write in my journal. They randomly call out numbers and I tell them what I wrote for that number. So poached eggs would be one thing that I would write. That might be 454. We've also learnt many songs about saying thank you, some of which you've heard today. We listen to stories about people like Horatio and we always take time to say thank you in our prayers at the end of each lesson. By saying thank you for what I do have in my life, in my heart and in my hands right now, I'm gradually building trust in the goodness of God who has the power to make miracles happen. I'm learning to trust in the one who has the power to turn a little into a lot the only one who I believe can transform our tragedies into a song or a book or a new lease on life. And I'm gradually learning how to fully rely on the one who was able to transform our desperate human condition into the greatest act of love that the world has ever known. Thank you. <laughs>